the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Vegas 33 Breakdown, Picks, Plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I'm your host, Dan Tom. Analyst is work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com, but on this here program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully it's for the fight. Recording this early, early Friday morning. May not have slept. Be warned. Going to try to expedite this for that reason and more just to get it into your sweet little souls, my listeners. You guys are the ones that keep me going, my life fuel. Uh, So thank you for uh, joining me here. Check the timestamps as per usual. We will talk a little bit of the top matchup for Bellator 263. I'm not sure where my breakdown is. I turned it in on Tuesday, but it's big turnarounds, and we got some busyness. We got two cards, and everybody's busting their ass behind the scenes, so bear with us over at Junkie. Um, my work will, uh, will will drop when it drops. You guys know the deal. Um, and I, to, to, to my fault, I really do got to try to get this stuff in sooner, and this is another reason why. So maybe may an, an effort so my stuff doesn't drop late be, later in the week because... Uh, it's just so hard to turn around, though, folks. You know, in my defense, it is. It's really tough. Uh, so I try to get this earlier to you, but it's, it comes out when it comes out. I get done when I get done with it. A lot of variables at play, but rest assured, it is on the way. As well as a main event breakdown for the other card we'll be covering, which is UFC and ESPN 28, UFC Vegas 33, UFC Hall versus Strickland. As per usual, check the timestamps for when those start. We'll do that from top to bottom. Uh, and recapping my picks and plays for the Soup Du Jour, which is the UFC card, of course, from top to bottom at the very end if you're in a rush or just would like to hear less of my voice, which I get, and don't blame you. Um, uh, as there will be some notes off the top, it will be more like a note and then a quick recap of UFC Vegas 32. You know me, I always come clean. I never skip over. However, I also try not to stay too long as most of the talking points have been beat and you don't need me who can get sometimes pre-chi to beat things into you on my uh soapbox so yeah we'll just we'll just try to get through everything as fast as possible how about that you can check the time now uh, in the future uh future listeners and, and see if i'm lying we can make this an expedited edition um so yeah just uh thank you guys uh for you know People who uh, are very grateful, always grateful, a lot to be grateful for. I'm just, I'm really run rampant, tired, not just from tonight, from those last few weeks. <sighs> I really got to limit what I do and don't do. Um, I have to go back to like some kind of an auto no instead of just auto saying yes to everybody. Uh, because um, it's, <laughs> it, it's not exactly the most reciprocative environment. And a lot of you are, by the way, and I'm about to shout some of y'all out, but... Um, you know, as far as the people who work in this space and my colleagues, it's, it can be brutal. And that'll be part of the note, too, because weeks like this especially really get your boy down, not just beaten down from a bunch of stuff. Um, 
that I'm no one cares about. I'm not going to go into. So don't worry. But um, but yeah, uh, sh- shouts to those who do support uh, mixedmartialanalyst.com for this free show. Um, even though coming off technically a losing week, and we'll talk about that. And actually, could have been a perfect. Uh, almost perfect week, perfect sheet on the odds breaker sheet at least. Shouts to the odds breaker. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Ricardo, Robert, and the rest of you people, you know you are, hit that PayPal link. I feel weird. It's like I'm a bad businessman, so don't listen to what I'm saying, I guess, or take it for a grain of salt or whatever. And I'm hardwired with my stupid character to like not ask in general, but it's like, you know, it's like I feel bad plugging the PayPal in general. It's like, well, I'm not going to plug it on a, uh, on a, you know, I feel bad plugging it on a winning night because it's like, well, you won. Why are you going to fucking enjoy, move on, don't double back and <laughs> tax your poor listeners who already listen to your ass, Dan. <laughs> but then part of me is like, well, when are you going to, you know, you going to advertise your link when on a losing night, you know? Well, so I just, I, I always feel bad mentioning this thing, but yet some of y'all still uh, found the analysis helpful on a losing week because again, just because the uh, uh, the result doesn't equal what we want doesn't mean the analysis was off. Uh, and a lot of y'all appreciated that, was able to cash on that, and still tipped me on what wasn't a winning week, even though we were on a nice hot streak. So that was a surprise, uh, but a pleasant one and an appreciative one. You guys don't need to be doing that, but I, I appreciate you guys. Uh, of course, that's the PayPal link at mixmarshallanalyst.com. Uh, right to the right, you might have to toggle to the right if you're on a mobile. Mobile! Um, but like, you can also go down to the Amazon or Onnit links, which I'm not going to do any of those read-throughs today. Uh, one, I can't do it for the Onnit. Uh, Amazon, I can, but don't worry, folks. It doesn't tell me who you are, so if you want to have your one night in Bangkok, you can buy the David Carradine karate gi. You, know, you can buy the rope. Have your fun. Uh, Ultra Vibration Max 5000s. I won't I won't know who's buying it. I'll pontificate on the product, but I won't know who's buying it, I promise. Um, but yeah, you guys can click on those links. Uh, do your shopping at no extra cost to you. It sends a small percentage back to this podcast. But between stupid billionaires jerking themselves off into space, uh, I don't feel great about plugging that. And I'm trying to actively order less from fucking Amazon. Hopefully you are too, but if you still find yourself... Having to order some things, easier conscience, uh, and mine, <laughs> I guess, uh, by helping, uh, helping, helping the little guy out over here. Um, you know, I'm very grateful for my spot, but uh, a me- a place in the media and a blue check marking and everything, folks. Um, <laughs> it's not a lot of money in this, so uh, and especially when you you do a bunch of stuff for free or next to nothing. So yeah. Um, Feel free to help and contribute in any of those ways. It's appreciated. So the quick note, I don't want to spend too long on this. Basically, I've referenced in the past, and it's the same shit that's always been going on in history, uh, in my country, in many martial arts, in MMA. Now, in, out, uh, you know, it's whatever. But it sucks. Um, And... Yeah, basically, without slinging mud or getting too deep into it, but since I did finally post on it publicly, because, um, you know, I've seen it for a minute, but for anybody trying to say, oh, you're trying to fucking start shit, not trying to start shit with Luke, I've actually known about this and have seen it on my feed through multiple sources for a while that 
Essentially, there was a dude on his show flashing white power signs, saying, I got your back, brother, and doing it multiple times throughout the show. And if anybody wants to accuse me of cancel culture or trying to, you know, throw shade at colleagues or whatever, I again, I've seen this actually for weeks and stayed fucking quiet about it. Um, but Luke, to his credit, acknowledged it publicly today, the other day, depending on when you're listening to this. Except... Um, in the discourse from him and others, it, it was the race, the clearly racist sign of the white power sign. It looks like the OK sign. It's been appropriated, sadly, um, officially since 2019 through multiple sources. Um, but uh, and it's really easy to, to look this up through multiple sources and verify through multiple sources with a simple Google search. But um, I just can't stand to stay quiet when I see racist shit not being acknowledged for racist shit. So I, I had to step in and provide those said links to help educate. And, you know, um, Luke was cool about it. And again, for anybody thinking that, you know, it's some personal, like, no, I, I sat on it. I could, I, if I wanted to, I could have fucking went about it a whole different way. I didn't. And secondly, people that don't know this, me and Luke, worked in Sirius XM and shared the same studio whenever he was in Vegas had plenty of pers- I don't really fucking know the guy not friends we didn't go out drinks or anything um oh actually I think actually I did have drinks with him after the MMA awards back in the day it was a bunch of us but regardless I don't know him well but for, for all these I've had a lot of little exchanges with him he's always been pleasant to me there's never been some kind of uh, issue with, oh I gotta get him back oh we got into that argument or oh nothing like these things folks nothing so I just want to nip that in the butt and focus on what should be fucking focused on is that there is plenty <laughs> of racist shit and if you don't call it out, racist shit begets racist shit. And even if, you know, because there's a lot of benefit of the doubt fans in there and all the replies, oddly enough from one specific group of, of dude, um, and I'm not calling them out because I also share this ethnicity and these people are either well-meaning randoms well-meaning co- colleagues and or smart and well-meaning people I consider friends. and But unfortunately, I, I still have issue with the perspective and the initial hair-trigger things that are said, which is always benefit of the doubt, devil's advocate, instead of calling shit for what it is. And I just couldn't, you know, just seeing someone do obvious racial stuff and watching everybody bend over backwards and pound for pound treat this breakdown in this footage like this is a prude film like Conor McGregor style um, to a dude who had you know hold the Bud Light bottle the sleeves cut off and had multiple tattoos of murdered and or slaughtered and or hung women tattooed all over his body um, but yeah yeah meanwhile people like myself or that look like myself have to continue to uh, see the news and can't like turn on our feeds without seeing fucking fellow you know people who look like us Asians Asian Pacific Islanders disproportionately still folks and anyone else fucking targeted since the pandemic everyone's talking about the Olympics because everybody has to have an opinion on that right you know um, in the same group that, that seems to have all an opinion of race also always have an opinion on sports and women and mental health, even though I'm not sure everybody quite has a grasp yet on mental health or how to talk about it and approach it. 
which is fine, but let's just be honest about it, right? Because again, I'm guilty of a lot of these things too, albeit not the thing in question that started this here little rant that I'm going to end shortly. Nothing that egregious, but to pretend that I'm perfect, fuck no. I, I need to improve too, folks. I need to educate myself too. And that's all I'm asking here is instead of fucking feeling like we have to have an opinion, A, which is fine to have an opinion. It's your fucking God-given right. That's, that's great. But you don't fucking have to have one, you know? It's like we all know that person. It's like, dude, you don't have to be an asshole every day. You could take a day off. Okay, we all have attributes like that ourselves. We can call ourselves on, including our fucking opinions on shit we have no clue about. So when someone who's not your sex or not your race talks about their experience, especially when it's relevant and it's factually and historically backed, can we just like... You know, can we just, can we just, can we just stop fucking questioning these people and their experiences? Because we, like, we know better. Like, we know them better than they know themselves. Like, we know their race that is not yours, their sex that is not yours, their experience that is not yours. I don't get why, why is that everyone's first reaction? Why is it a particular, you know, group of people? I don't get it. It's fucking, it makes me sick. And I'm tired of having to explain that the sky is blue. This is not Dan Tom's Hardcore History Hour. I shouldn't have to be sharing you these stories. I shouldn't have to be sharing stories on my feed. I should. We should all be able to just fucking have fun. Be positive and fucking help each other out. Make some money. Some, help make each other entertained and feel better. All these reciprocations. But... But no, there's more division out there. And yeah, so. And I've been keeping track, by the way, of what colleagues do speak out about POC issues, by the way. It's real fucking vacant. So I, I, I wasn't humoring any of that either. So yeah, that's all I want to say on that. Um, and, um, and yeah, like, let's just... Again, we don't have to tear each other down. This isn't about pointing fingers at each other. We just call things out for what they are. Or stay quiet, listen, and educate yourself further. Because I know I need to. And if I need to, there's sure as shit. A lot of, a lot of my other colleagues that definitely fucking need to, you know? Um, and, um, and that's that. That's it. No one's better than anybody. We just, we just all need to be better, okay? All right, moving on. Uh, USC Vegas 32, 15 minutes in, uh, USC Vegas 32, um, we went six and five overall, although there's asterisks all over, we could, you could have went seven, three and one, right, with, with a draw that should have been in there, we went two and two in straight plays, although we should have went three and one, we'll get to that, we went one and zero in props, which is nice, although that alternate number is actually not as good of a one, unlike this trend, it was one and two, because I did some late round ads that didn't hit but we're really small sprinkles and we're really close for what it's worth and we went 0 and 2 in the two parlays which really should have been one zero and one push but again we'll get to that that is usc vegas 32 which is headlined by tj dillasaw versus cory sanhagen of course not just being contrarian to be contrarian but actually putting an analysis behind it that you know your boy seldom gets credit for it seems like but um one of the only people to pick Dillashaw, one of the only people to pick him by decision. 
Um, the wrestling wasn't granted as big of a factor as I as I thought. Maybe in what would be a winning scenario in that scenario, but he did what he needed to do to win in what were close and arguable rounds. That being said, I did score it for Sanhagen for what it was worth, folks. I just I got all the bad beats and had to watch everyone and their mothers brag about all the good beats. Um, despite your boy here, of course, having the the, the right analysis, um, I had to I had to try to end my night good, especially when you know. My analysis actually was good, and I ended the night with a contrarian right spot-on play. Uh, so that was nice. The decision prop cashed, and TJ Dillashaw sprinkled cash, which I ended up needing, right? I, I ended up adding that. Uh, I said it was going to depend on my night of whether I play or how much I play that fight. Well, I needed it because the judges gave Holly and Paiva over Kyler Phillips. Now... You know, you could say that we deserve to lose if you played Kyler Phillips. Uh, I didn't put my whole money in my bank there. It was more my hedge in case I got screwed over, which I did on my other parlay, which we'll get to. But, it, and I'm a big fan of Paiva. You know, again, um, I'm not the only analyst talking about it. A lot of people talk about Paiva's body work and his counters and aggressive stuff. I, I, your boy here was talking about that, and that's what he showed. And uh, I did say round three is going to be interesting. Of course, that turn came a lot sooner because none of us could have predicted that Kyler Phillips been fucking drinking Slurpees full of himself since his last appearance and just came up, fucking fueled off all the hype and um, just showed complete disrespect and disregard. And for that, he didn't deserve to win the fight, folks, for what it's worth. I'm not saying Kyler Phillips should have won. Uh, I'm saying biased aside, biased included, all the above. Judges should just do their fucking job right and score that a 10-8, you know? It's just like it was one of those things where uh, it was like, does Phillips have to smuggle in a fight? Does a fighter have to smuggle in a prison shank? Because like, that was really the only other step up. I mean, I would have been closer to a 10-7 than a 10-9 just for the fact that a 10-7, I believe, in criteria is by definition when a finish is like nearly happens or it should have happened or I forget the exact language, but like... There was moments like that, including the very end, where Paiva didn't get up. And if a ref was, again, more stricter with these things where these guys helped at their corner. Remember, that kind of screwed us over with one of the fights, right? Or they get lucky in their corner. You know, he got his ass beat right in the corner where he was supposed to be, so he just sat up against the cage. Um, but, you know, that maybe that doesn't get out, right? You know, a lot of people were calling online for that to be stopped. So, again, if you played Paiva, grats on you. But that it was the wrong scorecard. That's that's the fact. Darren Elkins defeated Derek Minner. That fight went exactly the way I said. And I said, you know, I know that there's... And James Krause, man, you know, he, he's... you know, Shouts to my man Eric Nixit. Glad to see him getting nomination. One of the only good nominations from that Fighters Award. But, uh, you know, I think I think James Krause should have been in there. Um, he's amongst my leaderboard right now for Coaches of the Year for this year. Uh, so it's no disrespect to him, but I was not, like I told you, I wasn't sold. Derek Minner's still the same guy, and guess what? He was still the same guy. Uh, speaking of people still being the same, Macy Barber uh, defeated Miranda Mavic, apparently, according to the judges. Of course, you guys know where I'm going to go here. It's funny. I felt like I was, there was people that was more mad, more mad at it and hanging on to it more than I was. Because um, you know me, I try to overcorrect the steering wheel and just move on and go, okay, well, I guess I deserve that or this or that. But, like, you know. Anybody just trying to be, again, it's the same people being contrarian probably on, <laughs> that would be contrarian on, on issues of, of of race or sex that is not theirs. But I think if you're being contrarian here, you're just being contrarian to be contrarian. If you're saying, well, they didn't do a lot. 
okay, well, not every fight is Jung Garcia action, and not every fight is Penn Sanchez as far as complete domination. There's plenty of variants. In fact, when the best fight the best, as they are advertised to do in the UFC, which is supposed to be the top level, which you assume top level people actually like do their jobs, much less do them good, um, you are going to have close fights. And judges should be able to get those right. And this was not close. There was not a ton of big action. But unfortunately, because judges are overcorrecting the steering wheel on the way they judge, they are damage is the number one criteria, but unfortunately, it just fuels the same mistakes that they were making back in the 2012 Diego Sanchez era, where they're rewarding strikes that big strikes whether they land or not. In fact, more often than not, rewarding them for not landing more than they're landing, while counters and bodywork are being missed. Now I know, you know, we'll talk to the fight, uh, talk to a fight about a fight later on the card that made bodywork absolutely undeniable. But unless you do it like the way Brendan Allen did to put a Heli Soriano to burn that ahead of time um, to make it super obvious, the judges aren't going to get it. And like I was live tweeting at the time that Miranda Maverick was landing the cleaner shots, the more shots, and the more consistent shots as she consistently countered throughout the first two rounds, but particularly and especially in that second round. But where were the counters? They were to the body, and she was the southpaw going to the body in the open stance matchup as opposed to Allen, so it was actually more of an effective body shot because you're going toward the liver side. Obviously, she didn't shut down the liver. God, I wish she could have. Um, but, um, but yeah, the judges, of course, weren't rewarding that, and even though she already round, won the round in my eyes and many others with eyes, uh, she seals it with not just a takedown because Barbara maybe it may have got one or two. I don't know if she's credited with either because she shouldn't have because uh, Maverick pretty much got right back up and she couldn't secure a position. But Maverick actually did stuff with it with both strikes, submission setups, and back takes, which aren't given enough credit. It takes fucking skill to take a back, and those control positions should be worth a little more. Should they outweigh a bunch of damage? No, folks, but when it's close and we're going to the grappling, yes, or how about even when it's just close in general, how about we're not going to the grappling? We're not waiting on that hinge? How about we're just crediting fucking meaningful and skillful grappling that's leading to passes, strikes, and submission attempts and control? Why don't we just reward it as the fight goes on as is? Because it should be. It takes skill to get to that position. You know? Just like the, the leg lock versus the oblique kick argument. It takes skill to get to a fucking leg lock. It doesn't take skill to fucking lift your leg up and it doesn't barely take fucking balance even though you're technically on one leg to lift your leg up the bare fucking minimum to kick a kneecap. But yet that we fucking laud that technique, right? And we fucking criticize every leg locker, you know? But anyways, um, I'm not trying to stand for leg locks. I'm just bringing up the point of the fucking hypocrisies. Ah, boy, you're in a mood today, Dan. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, uh, it was, it was terrible. And then, you know, uh, yeah. Speaking of low key groups, signaling inadvertent dog whistling ties to white supremacy and canine, uh, Macy Barber going, you know, going and shouting out a, a organization, you know, that, you know, nothing wrong with helping kids if you're meaningfully trying to help kids, but, um, yeah, go look into that one. So, of course, because, you know, Dan Tom being on 
the the wrong end of the like the most notoriously shit decisions uh, for year number two in a row. And I don't want to complain because I still came in number one in staff picks. I still had a really profitable year last year betting, despite the year that was 2020, despite my bad luck of being on bad beats. Because again, to my fucking credit, that's how you know your analysis is on. Because I can get the bad beats that everyone other motherfucker seems to get, and your boy here still does okay. So fuck it. But uh, but yeah um. But yeah, so yeah, of course she's got to go fucking shout some bullshit canon and thing and then like go on. Uh, oh, and then what makes it even worse? And then she goes on like, you know, this press, you know, little press tour, fucking just unabashedly confident in her win. And then like, I think like Matt Sarah, someone asked her like what she was reading. And I'm like, oh God, I forget. Someone was just like, oh, when martial arts becomes dangerous and it showed like, Gordon Ryan moving to Texas, and he's like, somebody hook me up with the government, ICE, police officers, so I can teach them all jiu-jitsu. And I'm like, no! Uh, and, you know, Matt Sarah, well-meaning, he just heard, like, you know, oh, what, saving kids? Oh, this must be good. Tell me more. Email me links. And she's like, sure. So I'm like, oh, great. Don't do it, Matt. Uh, but Matt Sarah asked what she was reading or whatever, and she was like, a book by 50 Cent. And I'm like, and you guys know how fucking Dan Tom, I love, by the way, I love rap, hip-hop, old school, real shit, East Coast. You want to talk, get in my DMs. But, boy, when Dan Tom was in high school, graduating in 2003, there was not a song I hated more than 50 Cent, You Can Find Me in the Club, and all the bullshit, not even surface level, because it ain't even that deep. Uh, Fucking shit-ass lyrics, and, yeah, anyways, I'm like, fuck... Macy Barber, are you? You just studied me to make me fucking to, to annoy me because that's it. So there's gonna be bias on any Macy Barber fight going forward. I, I can call myself out here, folks. That being said, you bet your ass I'm gonna be making this money back from her. Adrian Yanez defeated Randy Costa. Um, I'm sorry, folks. I, I'm not this shitty and vindictive sounding. It's just lit. I'm just I'm very upset. Just seeing all the white supremacist bullshit just really upset me. I almost fought one today. Um, well, lives in my neighborhood and drives fucking stupidly recklessly. And, uh, of course they're a pussy when they want to fight, even though I'm a fucking out of shape nerd with glasses, which is hilarious. They don't want to fight me. Instead, they make a jerk off sign. I'm like, you want me to jerk you off? And they didn't appreciate that joke, but they didn't want to fight either. So I got problems, folks. I got to check my, you know, I know I don't look like it. It's like, what the fuck is, well, Dan, you're a nice guy. You look like a nerd. Calm down. Trust me, there's a fucking psycho side. Let's just say, I actually relate to some Sean Strickland stuff. Some, folks. Not the not the self-proclaimed racist stuff, which we'll get to. And okay, Shouts to Sean for, for admitting that about him, his past self. So, <laughs> I'm just talking about more about the anger. Anyways, uh, not angry was Adrian Yanez and Randy Costa. That was a friendly fight. I stayed away and enjoyed the show. Um, and that was awesome. Shouts to my colleagues, Gorgeous Jordan Goes. They had a really good interview with Adrian Yanez. It was really, 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 really good. Um, Brandon Allen defeated Punaheli Soriano. That was biased, and I was trying to stay away from my bias, folks, but the, the price dropped to, like, even money, near dog money over a dollar discount, and I couldn't help myself but take a shot, and I miss, but Puna will learn, and props to Brendan Allen, man. Really good performance from him. Uh, Mickey Gold defeated Jordan Williams. Uh, glad I stayed away from that one because I was wrong there. Uh, Nasser D. Imoff defeated Ian Heinish. Glad I stayed away from that one because I was wrong there, and that was one that I was actually wrong on. 
uh, Julio Arce defeated Andre Ull. Uh, was I right? Was I calling all the Southpaw stuff before even? And all respect, you know, say what you will, Dom Cruz. He's an amazing analyst. He did a great job that night. But uh, God forbid I give myself a little credit for beating an amazing analyst to the punch by literally, you know, you could accuse these guys of reading off my notes sometimes. But that's how I, that's little little secret. I've been doing that for over a decade, and that's why I got in this analysis in the first place, because I and my old friends at the time were sick as fuck of hearing me literally call almost everything before it would happen on commentary, because that's still my dream, and who knows, we'll see. If I keep burning bridges and calling out white supremacist bullshit, maybe I won't have my dream of calling fights, because, you know, politics is a big part of this game, and your boy... When I say I could give a shit about politics, I mean that in many ways, and unfortunately, all of them seem to be harmful to me. Uh, but, you know, uh, Julio Arce was not harmful. Uh, he, he did his job, unfortunately. You know, uh, the judges were, were determined to destroy the other legs. Uh, Sajara Eubanks defeated Elise Reed. Again, it was a bantamweight facing an atomweight in some ways, and it showed. Tried to tell you guys. That's why she was a leg, and she did her job. Uh, Belbita, I missed that dog money, so, uh, I didn't play this pick, but the pick came through, um, and she defeated Hannah Goldie, alright, how did we do there, 29, uh, longer than I wanted to, but hey, okay, let's move on to brighter days, I actually have plays, even though it's a shit card, and I'm not confident in these plays, uh, uh, I broke them down in unit sizes, but I did downsize a little bit on my personal bankroll, just out of PTSD, if you will, uh, from the bad calls. And so I decided to go smaller, but spread it out, you know, at a, to keep it uh, fun. And uh, I don't know if it's safer because it's more plays, but you know what I mean. Trying to be fun and, and a little more strategic um, than, than putting putting too much confidence. Uh, so we got a. Uh, Sean Strickland, minus 200. Uriah Hall, plus 172, roughly, depending on where you look. Yeah, I submitted Strickland, and, and after I went through the analysis, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm not confident in this as the line is. Um, I don't disagree with him being favored. He could certainly win. He will certainly be winning the rounds or the majority of the fight. Uh, but uh, I've been doing the classic picking someone to lose until they win, which is Uriah Hall, not necessarily all the time, but a lot of the times... Um, and, uh, you know, even, you know, they've had a lot of, uh, you know, he, he's even Sean Strickland said, he was like, Oh, he was an awe Uriah Hall. Cause he saw him when he was 18 years old and Uriah Hall was just coming off the ultimate fighter. Um, and they have a lot of sparring sessions. Um, and, uh, you go like you think, you know, I, I, from what it sounds like from Strickland, they would go hard. Uh, and then, you know. You know, as, as he would explain, are you okay? Uh, it's probably Uriah Hall being nice, but also trying to check him, because I... Uh, the way Uriah Hall explained it, like, that's exactly how I checked guys in traditional martial arts, too. Uh, well, first, I would be too nice, and I would hit him to the body light, and then they wouldn't respect it, and then I'm like, okay, they're really still trying to go hard. hard. Uh, uh, they don't want a point spar, they want a hard spar. And then I would really dig front kicks into the body, or counter crosses in the body. And then, then you go, are you okay? Um, so I, I actually sentiment with Hall there on that one. And I'm going to side with him here. He does a quiet but consistent job attacking the legs, and he'll have the counter that I'm depending on for the pick. Um, 
the kickability, whether it's a ending shot knockout spin kick off top or the quiet work that he does consistently down below, will be good for Sean Strickland's boxing-centric stance. Um, he seems to be in better shape and now kicking more. So I, 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 I doubt that's not a coincidence. The further he gets away from the accident, the better he feels. He is only 30 after all, despite having some hard miles on him, hard sparring miles, where the majority of the damage happens in the training room, folks. That is Sean Strickland. Um, so uh, I don't know if the age is as a worry. We're up here at middleweight. I know Hall is turning 37 the day of the fight. Um, but he's still uh, one of the fastest middleweights, and he will still, I believe, be faster than Sean Strickland. And Sean Strickland, whether it's at welterweight or middleweight, he's faced very few fast, long, knockout artists who can kick. And the ones who even remotely fit that bill, he has lost to and or probably should have lost to Luke. Cough, Luke Barnett, cough. Um, Luke Barnett, one of the funniest street fight stories I've ever heard, by the way. Nice guy in person. Um, but yeah, man, I, I know it's uh, could very well be the season of the, sc the scrappy, skinny, white dudes, like I've been saying, and I've been playing a lot of the times more often than not, right? But I, I got Hall here. Um, I think it's going to be one of two ways. Strickland's either going to steal the ball and run away with it and drown him. Or, in that process, if he doesn't completely run away or put enough distance between the two, he may just end up awakening the sleeping giant. So I'm going to go with the latter. Uh, I feel like the safest angle there, though, is uh, under 3.5. It opened a dog money. I missed it. You can still get it for, like, near even, minus 115. That's what I uh, grabbed it for. Um, for a chalk play, even though it's a prop, and I'll explain why it fits in the grand scheme of things for me. So take what you will for that, and it's just a friendly, honest suggestion. All right, Kyung Ho Kang minus 126. Hey, everybody, it's me, Ariaya. Uh, looks like he's like an extra weekend at Bernie's. He looks like he should have like the Chippendale, uh, not Chippendale, like exotic dancers, the Ch-Ch-Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Ch-Ch-Chippendale, Yaya puts you in danger. <laughs> um, you feel like you should have that red, that red shirt. That uh, I forget the the chipmunk that I like more because he seemed like more of a party animal. Um, you know, he looks like he should have one of those shirts unbuttoned with the furry chest and the uh, you know the gold necklace. Hey, everybody! Uh, and you know me, I'm, I always got to go with my my guy, Honey Aya. He's in a small cage. I actually originally submitted a Kyung Ho Kung pick and. According to my own analysis, he's got a 58% chance of winning because he is one of three fighters coming off of the year-plus layoff. As we all know, they all but one, except, you know, asterisks because one was facing one with Goldie and Belbita. They all won outside of that. So that's not good for Yaya, that trend. But Yaya is almost coming off. No, not really. But he has come off those layoffs as well and done well. And, um... I like him even better when he's fresher, and uh, he had, like, the two fights before this that were sketchy. He had one-year layoffs in between those. Um, he actually had a nice, like, you know, I don't want to say tune-up because, man, uh, you know, Ray Rodriguez, nice dude, black belt, you know, fought his ass off. Uh, but, you know, I got to imagine that win made Yaya feel better, right? Um, so, uh, it, it was a good, uh, mom, you know, momentum builder in the grand scheme of things is what I'm trying to say. Um, and essentially like a lot of the dogs I'm picking, it's funny, my chalk, not so much, but all the dogs are the better grapplers against fighters 
who can't help but grapple or close the distance, and that is Kyung Ho Kung. Um, Hanayaya can also, uh, you know, strike and kick legs. He's crossed trains at American Top Team, and Kyung Ho Kang has had his legs to show very susceptibility because he is a 5'8 long and lanky bantamweight, or 5'9 bantamweight, I should say. Um, and uh, he is 33 now, so he is exiting his prime. Uh, and he keeps coming off these one-year layoffs, so this could be... And I was looking at him, like, too, like, he looks like he's in great shape and all, but, man, he cuts some serious weight. He's... Because he doesn't look out of shape at all, but he looks much thicker outside of camp. Like, un not unrecognizable, but it's a big difference, man. Especially that low, that much body percentage. Uh, and he's already not a guy, like, known for a great gas tank. Like, he's... He's just as tired, if not more tired, than most of his opponents. So it's not like he's got a, a gas tank edge. Like, yeah, he may have a cardio edge on paper or eye test or fine, let's just give it to him over Yaya. But it's not massive. And Yaya, even though he has the thing of gassing, you look at those fights, he's still very competitive. He's still able to get third-round submissions and be competitive in third rounds, even late into his career, this later chapter, I'm counting. Um, he's actually gotten better because I think because he himself admits that he took training more seriously. He actually gave himself rest where he was doing the hardcore, you know, Brazilian, you know, uh, Brazilian tough guy thing where I'm just going to, you know, jujitsu, jujitsu, train MMA, um, back to back, just, you know, and like a lot of fighters, not a Brazilian thing, but a lot of fighters from Hani Aya's era, like they weren't taking good care of themselves. Um, and now he actually goes by a diet. He does all these things. He looks physically better, even though he's older. It's the craziest thing. And Kyung Ho Kang is not faced, even though he is, you know, apparently a really good grappler that gets, you know, a lot of credit. Uh, I think it was Ed Gallo. Shouts to Ed Gallo. Was it the Fight Set MMA podcast? Either way, you know me. I always try to shout people and give people proper credit. But um, was saying something like he can't, comes from a bit of a, a a weird kind of like belt wrestling background, and you know his teammate Korean Zombie. Um, gives him a lot of credit and said, like, he kicked his ass, but he's a really well-rounded grappler for sure, Kyung Ho Kang, for sure. But, like, there's black belts and there's black belts, and Hani Yaya is a black belt, you know. He is an ADCC uh, winner. That's the king of the kings for me as far as, like, assessing toward relevance to MMA. Like, IBJJF can go suck my dick. Uh, ADCC. Uh, sorry, I just, I'm, I'm not... I'm not a fan. Just, anyways, I need to get into that. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. Kyung Ho Kong has not faced a lot of the powerful grapplers. His most powerful grappler he's faced that the most relevant. You got to go way back to 2014. But that is a common opponent, Michinori Tanaka. Uh, Tanaka. I remember I was just bringing up that point with the names. I'm like, oh god, I was just talking about this. This is a perfect fight, the Tanaka fight. Ta uh, Michinori Tanaka. Um, yeah, and he was more of a positional guy. And I thought he actually beat both by the way they were judging fights back then and even the way you judge fights now. Um, and I think he even technically outstruck Kung. Uh, but I thought he beat Kung, which was Kung got the split decision, of course. Um, and um, whereas Haniyaya um, was able to, I believe, even win like round three with uh, Michinori uh, Tanaka and like out wrestle him. So yeah, uh, I, I think he's gonna get. I think he not only can beat Kung, but he can actually beat him by decision. So I wouldn't run out and play the sub prop. It may be tempting now, especially if you're at one of the houses that still doesn't have him at plus money. Um, you might want to get that angle because you you know, uh, 
um, if you weren't able to, uh, you know, miss the boat on the plus money, but be careful because this is a fight that he actually could win by decision. Um, so I got Honey Yaya, and I, I, I laid a, uh, a unit at plus 100 on him. That's what I got him at I, uh, late, I know. Um, Cheyenne Bays, minus 176. Glory to Paula, plus 148. Something tells me the dog is live here, but I didn't study this, so it'll be on the avoid, and I'll take Bays strictly on only training bias. So do not listen to me. This is big-time avoid or dog or pass kind of things, but you should probably avoid it. Uh, Nicholas Stolze, minus 200. Jared Gooden, plus 168. I originally submitted Night Train for my pick. I'm not sure why he took this fight on four days' notice, but he does look good. He's training with Phil Rowe. He, this is a sneak attack spot because he looks like he's in shape and was training for a fight. His coach recommended he should. It seems like serendipity because as soon as he called, sure enough, Sean Shelby was looking for somebody as Stoltz's opponent dropped off. However, um, rewatching it, I don't like, I, I didn't like, you know. His hesitancy in a guy coming off a loss and figuring out and f still flushing out his striking in Abubakar Nurmagomedov. Um, and that low output and what a kicker of his level could do, much less a guy with actual kickboxing and I believe Muay Thai experience uh, in Stolze. And Stolze, I believe, is a purple belt to Jared Gooden's brown belt, but um it's like dean lister and like he trains with like legit high level guys in germany in that grappling scene so i don't know if gooden's gonna have a edge there especially since he doesn't really you know uh, have a strong takedown process at least recently at the higher levels he's shown it in his ufc fights uh where stolza uh, actually had a lot of moments um scrambling and catching uh, Ramazan Amiv and actually had a, a good argument for stealing round one and winning that fight on the cards, stealing rounds with damage. Um, he's coming off of, uh, he's another fighter. He's the sec second of three fighters coming off of a layoff. But again, percentages is in his side, so I'll go with it here. Uh, again, it's the chalk. It's part of a three-leg parlay. Um, and with the chalk, I'm actually picking the guys who don't have the grappling edge on paper. But there are other trends of, regardless of layoff, that have to do with styles um, that have me leaning that way. So I got Stolze. Um, Ryan Benoit, minus 142. Zaruk 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 is on fire. I was looking at Ryan Benoit here. I feel like he's underrated, underpriced, and he still might look that way. However, I remember that he fainted on the scales. Uh, I also seen that, Ad I remember that Adeshev went the distance with Sumaderji. I also saw that Adeshev was training with the likes of Timur Valiev and Askar Askarov, who is no longer on the card, but, you know, uh, a solid contingent um, of, of guys who can grapple and have to round out his kickboxing experience. Whereas Benoit has been taking layoffs, trying and failing all around the country as far as, like, different teams and different amalgamations. And now it looks like he's finally back in Texas at Saxon and back at square one despite the problems he claimed he had or whatever. I can't keep track, okay? I'm not throwing shade or accusation. I'm just trying to piece together as I think out loud here, folks. Either way, I don't like those trends, and that kind of scares me off here. I'm picking Benoit, but it scares me off of a play. So uh, I avoided. Um, could be hindsight. Looks like uh, you're dumb for not taking the dog or you're dumb for not taking the favorite. It might be one of those fights. I am taking the favorite in the next fight, the second leg of the par play, Bam Bam Bar and Barbarina, minus 255, who I've been cashing on since Sage Northcutt, and Worley Alves. He was big dogs to those guys. Uh, over Jason Witt, plus 210. Uh, again, 
No disrespect to James Krause. Um, you know, Witt's another guy who looks like he's on a somewhat of a mid to late career renaissance with under the care of Krause, who looks like he's really helping him. Dude's an athlete. Uh, again, the better grappler on paper, I think he's got like a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It speaks more in his style uh, physically and on the on-paper accolades as well. Yet, I'm going to be picking Brian Barberina because uh, he's a hard guy to out-grapple. He's strong on the clinch. He scrambles up very well. Um, he's durable and will fight You know, for your money. I know he had the loss to Randy uh, Brown, but Randy Brown... You know, uh, not a bad fighter, and and Brian Barberina, uh, layoff, uh, had a back that didn't work, and had to fight to pay some farm bills for the farm he just bought. So yeah, um, you know, and he's come back and looked in slowly and slowly better form. He looked kind of weird and had like his eyes were puffy and it almost looked like he had patches on his skin, and it really scared me away in his last fight. But then he came out and performed like Bam Bam, and in his Instagram here he looks even he looks like healthy. He doesn't even. I know I wasn't just seeing things because he looks almost like back to normal. Um, it's always hard to tell Bam Bam because even when he's in good shape, he's got a bit of the, the dad bod thing. I have one. Uh, I say it endearingly, and he too uh, admits it endearingly, so I don't feel bad saying it. Uh, but he almost looks like, you know, from my eye test, looks almost like I haven't seen him this lighter since him getting down to the 155 days, but this fight's at 170, so that's a good sign. Uh, so give me Barberini here, especially with Jason Witt. Um, the last two UFC level southpaws he faced, I believe, uh, he got knocked out by, and those were both grapplers. Um, Chance Ren counter, and uh, which, granted, was a minute ago, and a more relevant one, which was um, Takashi Sato. I know he took that fight on shorter notice, but just saying, he faces a, a southpaw who will fight for your money and has fought for mine in the past. So, uh, give me Bam Bam. Um, Nico Montano is not the next parlay piece, but she is the last fighter uh, on this card returning from a year-plus layoff. So she is favored. She is the pick here as she faces Yanan Wu, uh, plus 205. Um, Montana has been training since the pandemic out here in Vegas, which is a good sign, but I listened to an interview with Aaron Brownstead. And shout out to my man, Aaron. Uh, love him. TSN MMA show. Subscribe. Check it out. Give them a five-star rating and review. But, um... My God, it's it is tough. It is tough listening to her. It's tough watching her fights. Everything feels like it's pulling teeth, and I feel so bad because this girl feels like she has such bad luck, and I just want to root for her, and I'm gonna pick her here. But man, do I have no confidence in it. Uh, who knows what Yunnan was gonna come out and look like? She's got some freakish strength, but Montano should be the more technical fighter and the better grappler. Next fight, Melsic Bagdazarian, minus 142. Colin Anglin, plus 120. This one didn't make my odds checker sheet because this was the last fight I researched. Yet, when I skimmed this card, this was the first dog that jumped out. What the fuck is wrong with you, Dan? Why did you wait this long? Uh, because your assumptions were right, and I'm taking Colin Anglin over Melsic uh, Bagdazarian. Um, not only do I don't even need to make an argument because you have the fighter who's a dog flipping over a dollar's, uh, dollar's worth, uh, to dog money, so the value alone is justification. But the reason why it flipped is because everybody's hyped on Bagdazarian, and not just because I'm trying to make a case because I have a bet, but no, even go to the guy who grades the winner's fights for Contender Series. That's me, Shmi, Shmi, that's me. 
And you will see that even at the time, I was one of the few in the minority who was against the hype. I downgraded Bagdasarian to a B, B for Bagdasarian, uh, because he just kept crashing into the clinch. He just kept crashing into the strikes. You know, you got these suspect guys like Adeshev, who they come from, you know, they got the glory kickboxing, you know, he has some K1 names on there. Uh, but like you have uh, some sketchy stuff on there and like, you don't know, like, okay, what, what, you know, kickboxing is weird, right? It, it can mean a lot. It can mean very little more often than not though. Um, maybe not very little, but not as much as you, the title would indicate is fair to say. Um, and, uh, and he's very inexperienced and, I'm glad Dana White didn't sign him, like I said in my article, and that he should get some more experience before getting back on. And now he just gets a layoff and no more experience. He gets thrown into the UFC, and it's he's a first-round finish guy going against a slow-burn fighter in Colin Anglin. Now, Anglin looks like he's almost looking for too much angles with his low hands and can get hit, very hittable. But he looks like he's got a chin, and, and he's got the mental fortitude and a physical durability thus far. And until that's proven wrong... You know Dan Tom loves me some slow burn fighters who can wrestle box, take a back, be slick, take angles, and will now be his second, at least his second camp with Factory X Muay Thai, where he's paired up with some hard kicking southpaws, ones that I like, like Jonathan Martinez and other southpaws over there, as they provide solid kickboxing partners. So he's at the he's at a good camp for this fight. And he's in the small cage and can get takedowns and maybe be more opt for takedowns, knowing that this guy's an even bigger uh, a bigger kickboxer than the Tajikistan guy, who a lot of the Tajikistan is like Wushu Sanda, so there is a bit of grappling in their base uh, as well, for what it's worth, as we did see. Um, to uh, Naimov's credit, I believe that was the guy England faced. Anywho, um, I like England. He looks in even better shape here. Uh, he looks just as jacked as Bagdasarian does, except he's taller, longer, tougher, better gas tank, more well-versed, better experience against better guys, uh, and the line flipped. A uh, whole, whole unit uh, like Yaya as well on Anglin at plus 120. Next fight, we got uh, Rafa Garcia minus 330 versus Hoggle from Labyrinth at plus 260. <laughs> Chris Grismacher is going to kick my ass. Chris Grismacher, plus 265. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, No, I, yeah, it's it's hard, man. Grismacher seems like a wild man. Uh, I didn't see where he's training at this camp, but I know he was jumping around at the last camp, even if he found somewhere stable. At this point of his career, I feel like he, he is who he is. He's a grinding dude, and that small cage will suit that. But... I don't think he's going to be able to um, muscle or out-technique Hoffa Garcia or out-box or out-work, out, outright out-work him, to be honest. Uh, Hoffa Garcia, who's very durable, the Kabate America's champion. Um, I believe he's got like a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or something as well. And he uh, has been extensively training with Justin Gaethje and Trevor Whitman uh, at Elevation over there in Denver. So... Yeah, I like Hoffa Garcia for my third leg of the parlay with Stoltz, with Stoltza and Barbarina for plus 170. And I put 1.3 units on that, 1.35, whatever the exact thing is. Uh, I kind of rationed it out to have some coverage here. Um, and uh, I'll go over that, I guess, when I get to the rest of my plays. It won't make sense now. But yeah, I took um, Hoffa Garcia. 
All right. Kai Kamaka Jr. minus 116. Danny Chavez minus 102. I just spoke to uh, Eric earlier today as he was going into quarantine to quarantine uh, to corner Kai boy. Uh, I'm going to take Kai here, but it's biased, and I am staying away because of that. Uh, I know some people I respect are on Kamaka. I am picking him to win. Um, he has the tighter strikes, the tighter counters. Uh, you know, you know, judges love to score those as they fucked Kamaka again uh, for the cleaner striker. But anyways, um, yeah, um, I'm taking Kamaka there, but I'm not playing it. All right, uh, Ashley Yoder minus 152, Jin Yu Fry plus 128. I didn't study this one, and um, I just don't feel like I have a good read on this one. So for that reason, it is on my avoid list. Ronnie Lawrence, minus 152. Trevin Jones, plus 128. Okay. Um, I ended up liking these last two dogs, but who I did have my eye on, by the way. But I didn't like him as much as I did like, but I did take some interesting angles and lowered um, what I did play nonetheless. So these will be half-unit shots on the side that I'm on, which is Trevin Jones. It's dangerous. Ronnie Lawrence is really good, man. He looks like a menace. He's got like that. He comes from traditional martial arts, that kung fu base, uh, and he's brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But it looks like he's been wrestling his whole life. He's got like that Justin Scoggins thing where he can tie in the traditional martial arts to the to the takedown transitions really well. Um, although he probably wants to stick to body locks in this fight to be all the way in or all the way out against a dangerous counterpuncher in Jones, or just a dangerous guy, maybe not counterpuncher, because it seemed like when Jones decided to come forward in his fights and he leads with this sneaky lead right hook that almost came up like an uppercut in his last fight um, to stop guys. And that could certainly hit a guy who was tall and upright, for, especially for this division, and Ronnie Lawrence, who has been hit and dropped by Southpaws before, see his fight with, uh, who's that, Steve Garcia. I don't know how that guy made weight. That guy missed weight at featherweight and looked like a, a, a good-sized lightweight, and he used to fight at bantamweight. I don't know how the fuck that happened. Um, but unfortunately, Ronnie Lawrence had to fight him. So there was a size difference there, granted. But, you know, that was a southpaw who dropped him and beat him up on the feet. Uh, and he's not as good of a grappler as Trevin Jones, who Trevin Jones, not just higher rank as a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt compared to Ronnie Lawrence's brown belt, but he's actually competed in gi, uh, no gi especially, and I believe he's like a four-time no-gi winner, uh, Trevin Jones, not ADCC or anything crazy like that, but a well-experienced grappler um, before and during his MMA career. Uh, so for that reason, I also feel like him by submission is live. Now, he actually has more rear naked chokes than guillotine finishes, but... He's built for a guillotine. I've seen him hit guillotines in his grappling footage. He has guillotine wins dating all the way back from his amateur and then to his pro. And when Ronnie Lawrence does get away from the body lock that I do like, he tends to do this Dominic Cruz knee tap impression, and he really gives his neck. And he got caught speeding with a guard pass in his contender series fight. And even against a guy like Cachero, who I like Cachero, by the way, but you know he's not an ac as accoladed or ranked of a grappler as... Um, Trevin Jones is he snatched and gave him a quick scare that he had to like literally front flip out of uh Ronnie Lawrence did um I have a weird inkling that Trevin Jones is going to guillotine him either hurt him and make him shoot or catch the lazy shots when he gets more tired as the round goes on now Ronnie Lawrence doesn't look like he tires much he looks like he pushes through it I don't think he gasses but 
I'd say Tyre, as far as his technique does, lacks up, as most of us all do slash would uh, in that situation, by the way. So not, not hating, just putting some puzzle pieces together. So between that and the live countering threat, um, I just I, 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 I took Trevin Jones' money line small, and then even smaller, like quarter unit small, sprinkled on inside the distance to cover both those outcomes at plus 200. And did an additional quarter on submission because was able to get it at plus fifteen hundred up uh, as as high as that at some books, uh, and I felt that was worth a sprinkle if that inkling is right, um, and if that one catches, well then that pays for pretty much all the underdogs and underdog props, um, you know. So because if submission catches, that means inside of the distance, that means money line does as well. Um, but in all actuality, I just need two out of the four. Uh, e- even if the two uh, least valuable dogs out of the four dog plays I play hit, folks, uh, I should be able to cover with the way I uh, laid it out. If I do half and half, and then whether it's half my parlay or half the chalk prop uh, of the ender in the Strickland fight, um, those should cover one another slash uh, cross cover a decent amount of the props if the parlay hits especially um, so that's kind of how I branch these out of course that fourth dog is Philip Rowe plus 130 minus 154 Orion Koski I got less confident in this one because I thought it was the other Koski brother who was the one round or finish one but Orion I liked a lot I liked more than Dana did and I liked more than the Gen Pop did Dana was of course unfair because of the cheeky little pause because they were both a little tired and he did the premature ending to round two fist bump that pissed Dana off and I feel like he's kind of like another Anglin guy. He actually reminds me of Colin Anglin, so I think it's funny they're on this card, Contender Series guys. And possibly slow burns, too. Um, very similar styles. And get wild. Except Kosti's got this weird, weird perseverance, and I did not want to bet against him in this spot initially, because at least at first, because of that chip on his shoulder that he had. He's like, I'll show you, Dana. I'll show you uh, on that contender series if people forget so he's gonna have a chip on his shoulder and even more because again this guy comes from adversity him and his brother's story is a pretty crazy story so these guys aren't dudes to quit so he really took that personally of dana accusing him of being a quitter uh or, or something along those lines and this is weird because he's gonna have a chip on his shoulder which is good but this is another flag that kind of supports my row pick is that he's coming off of a shoulder surgery i've on his ig post he said something like five or six months or something or the doctor said don't do anything for a year take over a year do this surgery do that he didn't do any of it and just did his own pt and uh was like squatting and this and that and you know he's really proud of it and that's his chip on his shoulder but i don't know if it's just me but like whether it's the he did does look like most fighters obviously they get in better shape as closer to fight time and he does too but whether it's the close to fight time shape or this in between, which would make sense if he was dealing with an injury, now that you think about it, um, he doesn't look as in tight a shape as you, you think he would slash normally would. And I think even his normal job is like a strength and conditioning coach at the UFC gym. So he's got a job where like, you would stay in shape too. And believe me, dude, the guy looks way better than my fat ass, obviously. I'm just saying, like, you judging by, by previous pictures, right? So I don't know. It's, it's kind of a wild card. Part of me was like thinking, oh, this was the wrong Koski. I'm going to go with Koski, and I was going to completely reverse, not just not play row, but reverse my pick. But the more I looked at it, um, he has a bunch of questions, whereas Rowe looks on point. Rowe's got the chip on his shoulder. He looks like he's fired up. 
Um, he's got that confidence that he came into the contender series with and that for whatever reason was not uh, in that Gabe Green fight. But I think that Phil Rose feeling it. Uh, he's definitely the better grappler again, like a, like a lot of pretty much all these plays. Um, and he's in the smaller cage. And Orion seems to uh, change levels and grapple a bit too. Um, and, and can be taken down as well. So I, I think Rowe can win this fight there. Uh, if not submit him, I think he can maybe get a gritty decision. But if it starts getting wild and he starts taking damage, he does show bad body language on the feet. Uh, row. Um, so that's really worrisome. So this is a crazy fight. It feels like a pick em, but again, if it's pick em and you're going to give me uh, a uh, clear plus line on a guy that I like, then I'm going to take it. Um, Phil, uh, Phil Rowe uh, for uh, half a unit plus 130. All right, recap it. How do we do on time? Oh, right at the time limit. Okay, recapping. All right. Oh, uh, by the way, in top Bellator 263, my main sharp breakdown is going to be down. I took uh, Fieri. Um, I'm not going to play it, though, unless he drops to Dog Muddy. I was kind of hoping and thinking he might with the popularity on McKee. Basically, McKee doesn't have a lot of you can look at, but the fights that went to decision pretty much are fighters who could counter and or wrestle, and Fieri can do both. So that's pretty much why I'm picking Pitbull. Uh, but all right, recapping this card, UFC Taking Hall over Strickland. Taking Yeah, yeah, everybody over Kung. Taking Bays over DePaula. Taking Stolze over Gooden. Taking Benoit over Adeshev. Taking Barbarena over Witt. Taking Montaigne over Wu. Wu. It was, it was fucking Wu that peed on the rug, man. Taking Anglin. Anglin for Anglin. Over Bag B for Bagatasarian. Uh, taking. Garcia over Hoggle, a Gritzmacher. Uh, taking Kamaka over Chavez. Taking Yoder over Frey. Taking Jones over Lawrence. Taking Rowe over Koski. Uh, Parlay, uh, Stolze, Garcia, and Barbarina for plus 170, 1.35 units. Um, straight plays, I took Yaya plus 100 at a unit. Took Rowe plus 130 for half a unit. Jones plus 128 for half a unit. Anglin plus 120 for a unit. Uh, props, I took Strickland Hall under 3.5. I laid the chalk a unit on minus 115. Uh, Jones, uh, I sprinkled very lightly quarter, uh, maybe even under that, inside the distance plus 200, and that same uh, small amount on the sub, plus 1,500. Avoid Montaigne Wu. Uh, avoid, uh, for me at least, Frey. Um, Yoder and uh, Bayes DePaula. Uh, all right, Amazon, YouTube, on it, PayPal, uh, Apple Podcasts, five star ratings and reviews. Subscribe, Daniel Tom MMA to my YouTube. Follow at Daniel Tom MMA. Uh, follow, like, subscribe at the PYM Podcast on all social platforms. I promise to not pollute your feed. Stop Asian hate. Call out bullshit for what it is, and or let's all just try to be better. Sit back, listen, educate ourselves. Stop the hate. There's enough fucking divisiveness. Um, stop the hate. Educate. And regardless, I sincerely wish you the best luck on your picks and plays. And always protect your necks.